Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We go to Acts 17 and uh, Acts chapter number 17. If you have your Bibles, we're continuing in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. If you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we have been walking through for, this is message number 51 in this book, and walking through this book, and I'm excited about the message this morning. For many of us, there are some questions in life that are hard to answer, aren't there? You have some questions sometimes in your life that are hard to answer, and uh, maybe people have tried to stump you with hard questions before, questions like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And I saw somebody yesterday just posted on, on Facebook or something, I've seen it before, uh, it said, which came first, the chicken or the egg? It said, I just ordered them both on Amazon, I'll let you know, and uh, which one comes first? The chicken is the one that came first, by the way, that's my opinion, but did Adam have a belly button, the hard questions of life, right? And the answer is no. But to which fast food restaurant has the best French fry? Everybody knows that is McDonald's. Thank you. I think that's what I heard. How many of you disagree with that? I think it's something else. A few of you out there. I can tell you the worst one is In-N-Out Burger. All right. Those are just raw potatoes. And uh, I don't mind their burgers, but their fries are rough. That's why they do them animal style. You got to put all the stuff on top of them because nobody wants to taste the actual French fry. And uh, so just go, go try them by themselves and see if I'm not wrong. And, uh, but uh, speaking of McDonald's, I saw the McRib is back. I don't think I've ever had a McRib. How many of you have had the McRib? Let me just see. What percentage of that is actually rib meat? I'm not sure what that is, what they make it out of its form. I've never had it because the picture looks gross. It's this something meat substance formed into it, but I need to try one if I can find it and uh, see. How many of you think I need to try it? You've had it before and it's something I should have? Okay, I'll maybe try that. But hard questions in life. I saw this one this week. What two things can you never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner. That's what those two things were. And uh, or uh, what goes up but never comes down? Your age. And, uh, but seriously, this morning, we're going to look at the, the questions like, what about the hard questions of where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Those, those what some people would say are kind of the core questions of life. Those things have been pondered, they've been debated, they've sought to be answered in different ways for millennia. And in our passage here in Acts chapter number 17, Paul finds himself, he's on his, the Apostle Paul's on a second missionary journey, and he finds himself in Athens, an educational and cultural center of the world. And, and here in Athens, he finds a group of people who are struggling with some of the hard questions of life. I want you to notice by way of review where we were last week. It'll lead into today's passage. But Paul here in Athens, and Paul is here by himself. He's left behind his ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, and at times Luke here in this passage on this journey. And, and in seven, chapter 17, in verse number 16, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly or completely given to what, church? Given to given to what? Why would people be given to idolatry? Because they know 
There's this hole in their heart. They know that there is someone or something that is bigger than them that they should be giving worship to. That's, that's inside of all of us. God created all of us with, it's a God-sized hole that's in our heart that we try to fill in all different ways. And sometimes we try to fill that with material things or with career success. Sometimes we try to fill that with, and, and even those things are idolatry. Idolatry is anything in our lives that, that takes place above Christ. And so often when we think, which is what he's speaking of here in, in Athens, we think of idolatry, we think of some bronze or golden or silver statue that people bow down and worship, which is what it was. But just because you or I don't have a golden statue in our home that we bow down to worship, we can be guilty of idolatry in our lives. We can put things, pastors can be guilty of idolatry. Churches, Bible-believing that would say they believe the Bible can be guilty of idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of Christ and, and gets placed above Christ in our lives. But why were they given to idolatry? Because they knew there was something bigger than them, but they didn't know the answer. So they tried this God and they tried that God. These people were looking for answers to the hard questions. So, so they made all types of God to worship. Speaking of Athens, Pausanias, who visited this city about 50 years after this was written, it's recorded that he said, in Athens, it was easier to meet a god or goddess than it was a man. Because the idols of that city, they lined, the, the streets were lined with, with countless false deities, tens of thousands of idols lining the streets, statues there in the Parthenon and, and the Acropolis. They had these statues of, of false idols and so we see here, they're looking for something. They're, they're searching. They have questions. And they're trying to fill it with man-made answers. Chapter 17, verse number 17. The Bible says in verse 17, Therefore, notice that next word, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. These are people that think they're religious. I've got the answers in my religion and my, my, my spiritual routines. And in the market daily with them that met with him. See that word there? He disputed. What is that? People are searching for answers. They're debating. They're disputing. They're, they're questioning. They're looking for those answers. Notice verse 18. Then certain, what's that next word in verse 18? Then certain what, church? Philosophers. The, and we talked about the Epicureans and the Stoics last week. They encountered him, and, and some said, notice this, there's questions. What will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Isn't it interesting? When we fill our lives with all kinds of other things, Jesus seems strange to us. And, and he said that they had questions. What is he going to say? What is he talking about? Who is this Jesus? These, these, these Athenians, they had these great questions. Verse 19, and they took him, and they brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Again, another question mark. The Areopagus, I think we have a picture there, is, is this rock outcropping there in Greece and Athens, that rock right there in the foreground. And up above it, you can see the Acropolis, the Parthenon, these famous places. I've not personally been there. Maybe some of you have been there and seen that personally. They brought him up, and this would have been a place, the Council of Areopagus, where they would have come, and, and they said, let's bring him up there. And so Paul is literally, and they're saying, what is this doctrine? Who is this Jesus? What are they had these questions. Let's talk to the philosopher. Let's talk to these really smart people. And Paul is standing here. We, it's, we're going to see it here in a minute. Sometimes called Mars Hill. It's the sermon at Mars Hill. He's standing here and literally looking down upon him were the gods of Greece staring down at him. 
He's going to preach Jesus with the handmade gods of Greece looking right down at him. And, and right before him sat the most exclusive philosophical review board in the world at that time. This is the setting. This is where Paul is. This is, he's in Athens in Greece. The gospel is brand new in Europe. We've studied that. Verse number 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. We're confused. We're looking for answers. That's what that verse means. We're confused. We're looking for answers. Verse 21, it's a parenthetical thought. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, what is it? But either to tell or to hear some new thing. Constantly looking for answers to, to questions, looking for the answers they did not have to the questions that they did have. What, what, and we're going to see, I believe, what their questions were based on the, the questions that Paul answers, but it, it was the deep things of life they were confused about, they were struggling with, the, the things of worship and the things of the afterlife and those things. But these introductory verses, they're a reminder for us, church family, that education doesn't always equal answers. In American culture and society and in many places in the world today, we have made an idol out of education. And the more, and I'm not against education. We have a Christian school here, and I'm not against higher education and college, and I'm not against a master's degree. or I'm not saying there's anything inherently evil about education, but sometimes as humans, we look for the answers in education. Well, the smarter I get, then the more my, the deep questions of life are going to be answered. And in fact, the truth of the matter is in the exact opposite sometimes happens. The Bible says it this way, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. Sometimes, the, the more educated we become, we, we end up educating ourselves beyond common sense and beyond biblical sense and beyond spiritual sense in our lives. But education doesn't always equal answers. At, at this time, Athens was home to the world's most famous university, but it was also home to a population that was completely confused about the most important things in life. And it's interesting in our lives, we can look back every 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, and even in our culture and in our country and in our society, every 10 or 20 or 30 years, the world's best and brightest come to different conclusions about things that their predecessors believed in areas of health, in areas of science, in areas of even history, in areas of human behavior, in areas of spirituality. There are these breakthroughs and things that generations believed, all of a sudden we learned something else, and now what was the right answer for generations or for centuries or for decades, all of a sudden is the wrong answer. And now we have a new answer, and, and you can find those things. And it's a reminder to us, as we're going to, by way of introductions, we're talking about this, the answers of this world are ever-changing. But the answer for this world is unchanging. And that's a good thing to remember. Because with every magazine, with every new documentary, with every new breakthrough, with every new scientific report, with every new doctorate, doctoral thesis study in some famous university of the world, with every one of those, it seems like often it's a new answer and it's a new idea. And much like the Athens, we're looking and we spend all of our time searching and looking for that which is new. And often in our lives, the things that we thought were the answers we find out or not, it wasn't that long ago 
that, that, that people taught that the world was flat. And it is interesting with all of our education, that's actually becoming a fairly popular theory in some circles again today. I don't need to send you down a YouTube rabbit hole, but there's a bunch of stuff out there now that trying to convince us that the, the, worth, the, the, world, the, earth, the world is flat, the earth is flat. It wasn't too long ago that doctors, the best and the brightest, the most educated, believed that the ailment, the, 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 the cure to some ailments was to suck all of the blood out of a patient. That was considered the wisest thing, the, the best treatment that you could do. It wasn't that long ago. You can find just a couple of decades, a few decades ago, professional athletes, the healthiest among us, were smoking cigarettes at halftime of their games. There's photos of it. The, 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 in the NBA, the NFL, they would go into halftime and light up a cigarette. Why? They, the answers they had then, we have very different answers today in the areas of health. About 100 years ago, the medicine company Bayer, that's still around today, they formulated a, a, a cough syrup for children. Here's a, it's an exceptional cough syrup, and you might not be able to see it, but on the, the second line on the right side there, it shows one of the ingredients that was great for your kids. Just a little heroin. That's all you need. Got a cough? And, and some of you say, my kid could use something. I need whatever it takes. And isn't it interesting, again, as we become more enlightened that now... We, we got away from all of that, and now just recently, they're decriminalizing some of those, what would be considered strong drugs and some of the, the and heroin and other things, but the medical company, and people bought it. This is great. Hey, honey, did you get that heroin for our little one? We need that right now. He's got a cough. Pick it up on the way home. Answers change. It wasn't that long around the same time that parents were encouraged to give their children, if they had a toothache, this special formulated uh, toothache drop with just a little cocaine. That'll do your tooth a little good right there. I was reading this week, before the invention of railways, it was believed that people would suffocate if they traveled more than 30 miles per hour because the passing wind would be so much that they would not be able to breathe. It would be so, that if you had, and all of us, obviously we've sat maybe in the back of a truck or, or in a car with our window down or whatever it might be on a motorcycle and gone much more than 30 miles an hour and we didn't suffocate. What am I trying to say? The answers of this world are always changing. And what is received as in that day and age, this is the answer. This is the right way. This is the scientific breakthrough. This is the truth. This is the history, these things. And it's amazing the things that are commonly accepted by and believed by one generation that are disproven and viewed as insane by the next. Who knows the things that we do or believe today that will be proven to be crazy in the years to come. What am I saying? This reminds us education doesn't always equal answers. May I say, secondly, this passage reminds us, enlightenment doesn't always equal answers. These were some of the most enlightened philosophers of the day. These were the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they had this board, and it was a very a beautiful city, and they had beautiful architecture. It was a very progressive society, and yet they didn't have the most important answers. Sometimes we can become so progressive in our society, so enlightened, that we become imbeciles. I would suggest to you that in certain corners of our world today, that's happening. Turn on the news. And the most progressive and enlightened among us are refuting the truths of Scripture. And so this morning, I want to bring us a, a message uh, from this passage, beginning in verse 22, entitled, Answering Hard Questions. 
Paul knew they were struggling with questions. And, and this morning's message is going to be a study of the message that Paul preached to these educated, seemingly enlightened, but completely confused secular Athenians. This is often referred to as Paul's Sermon on Mars Hill. Let's jump into it in verse number 22. Would you read verse 22 aloud with me? Acts 17, verse number 22. Ready? Begin. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. When you read that in the King James, it, it sounds a little bit like an attack. You're too superstitious. We, and the reality is if you study that phrase, it was actually a compliment from Paul. He was starting, and by the way, most of the time you're not going to teach somebody something or bring somebody to, to the right way of thinking by just attacking them. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth, but just attacking them in a bad spirit, telling them what idiots they are. As you study that phrase, what, he actually, what he's actually saying there is, he said, I, I, I have found in my short time here that you are very spiritual, very religious people. In everything, I see it all around. And, and he's using that as a point of contact, as a way to begin speaking with them. I, I found you are very religious, very spiritual people. Now notice what he says in, in verse number 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription, what's the inscription there, church? To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. It's interesting, Paul, almost all the other cities that he went to, what did he do almost every time? He went to the synagogue and began preaching. And when he would do that, you would see he would open the scriptures to them. Now, he's going to talk a little bit about scripture, but in this message, he uses very little scripture, scripture meaning the Old Testament that they had. Why? Because these were, most of them were not Jews. These are secular, enlightened, educated people. Paul is going to meet them where they're at. And he says, I found as I walked around, you're very religious people. You, 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 you're very spiritual, and in fact, I saw an altar that you pray to, you worship, and it said to the unknown God, you've even admitted you don't have the answer. You don't know exactly. You know there's somebody you're supposed to be worshiping, but you don't know who he is. You're confused. You're struggling with these, these core foundational questions that change everything about our lives. And here's what he says. Him, I'm going to declare to you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you the answers. I'm going to tell you who the God is that you don't know. Him declare I unto you. So he, he says, you've been searching for these answers. I'm going to give you the answer. Him declare I unto you. Verse 24. God, he says, God made the world and, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not uh, in temples made with hands. What does he say in verse 23? You're searching to know the truth. I'm about to give it to you. And Paul is now going to answer three of the most important, sometimes the most difficult, the most life-changing, eternally impactful questions that mankind has struggled with throughout history. He's about to answer these three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? There aren't a lot of questions more important or foundational to our existence than that. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Science attempts to answer the first question, where did I come from? Philosophy wrestles with the second question, why am I here? But only Christianity has a satisfactory answer to all three. I want you to see the first one. Where did we come from? That question, it's affected mankind for centuries. 
And, and the reason it's so important is because our belief regarding the answer to this question shapes so much of the ways that we answer the other questions of life. If all of this, if all of us are here by just chance, some cosmic accident, that changes everything about the way we live our lives while we're here. If, if all of this was just some accident, then, then life must not have much purpose beyond me just getting whatever good out of it I can while I'm here. Just try to get as much pleasure, as much power, as much possessions, and whatever I can. Because there's, there's no beginning, there's no ending, there's no creator, there's nothing. It just happened on accident. And our belief on where we came from changes everything about our existence while we're here. Some say that, that, that and you can study it, some say that all of this could have started from lightning. A chemist at the University of Glasgow suggested that the first molecules of life may have met on a piece of clay and began to organize themselves. If we all came from monkeys, then guess what that does to our mentality? We're nothing more than animals, and every other person is nothing more than an animal, so we can treat one another like animals. There is, no, there is nothing beyond. It's just, it's just a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's every man for himself. Our belief in these things affects that. Some have suggested where this all comes from. It was some three billion years ago, and, and the earth was covered in ice, and as the ice slowly melted, it allowed these fragile organic compounds to come to life. Isn't it interesting? Man will come up with all kinds of crazy ways to discount God and to discount his supreme role in creation. And church family, I just want to say this. We must get our belief on creation right if we're going to get any other beliefs about the creator and his plan for creation right. Now again, look where, where Paul started with these educated, enlightened Athenians. He started with creation. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, verse 25, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Right there on the Acropolis were several shrines dedicated to the goddess Athena. And in two brief statements, Paul completely wipes out the entire religious system of Greece. He says, God that made the world, he's the Lord of heaven, he's the Lord of earth, he doesn't need anything from us, he's not worshipped with our hands, he doesn't need, he gives everybody everything that we have. And this, his, his, his beginning of his message right here reminds me a little bit of Genesis 1-1. God started the book, the very first verse, and what did he do? He said, you need to get your belief on creation right. And he sums it all up perfectly with the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning, and he created it all. That is, and, he, and Paul sums it up right here. You guys are way off track because you're not right in answering the question, where did we come from? And so he, he tells them, there's somebody bigger than you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything you can do for him. You're making these, these pictures of gods, and then you're worshiping your own creation. Any good thing that you have, Athenians, or that you, that, that you are, came from him. So often, even today, again, having been enlightened and progressed some 2,000 years later, so often, instead of worshiping the Creator and glorifying Him, what do we do? We worship His creation and we glorify ourselves. Paul says there's nothing we can give to God. He doesn't need us. He continues in verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. 
He answers the questions of time and space and race that have affected so many civilizations. What has he said there? And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And he's determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He determined how long they'll live, where they'll live, what it will look like. He's determined it all. And why does he say this? The Greeks, those that he's preaching to, they felt they were a special race, different from other nations. May I just stop and say here, and this year has had in our, in our nation and, and somewhat around the world, there's been a lot of racial division and racial tension, and there's been a lot of, of, of battles and fights and all of that. May I just say, again, Paul answers that question. What's the answer to all of that? The answer it, to that is understanding in God's sight, there is one race, the human race. He made of one blood. We have different pigments of skin. But running through the veins of no matter what pigment of skin you are is the same blood. And he answers these questions that affect us. And he says, and you say, well, Pastor Ryan, there are different ethnicities, you can say, and there are different cultures. And the Bible talks about in Revelation and in that day of every kindred and every tongue and every tribe, there are different groups of people that speak different languages, that eat different foods. But there is no, there is no skin color that God loves more or less than the other. And, and, and at times, even God's representative at times have, have given that idea from the pulpit and tried to uh, m- manipulate and twist scripture to give that idea. Even in, in, throughout our country's history, there have been times where people have stood up and, and seeking to speak on God's behalf have said things that God never said. He's made of one blood, all the human race all nations of men for to dwell. God's in control of all of that. Yes, there is much variety within the human race, but there are no certain skin colors loved more or less by God. He settles here the authority question. Who is in charge of this all? It's God. Then Paul moves, continues on, and moves to a question that is buried deep into the core of every human that has ever lived. Not only where did we come from, but number two, why are we here? Why are we here? Do you ever wonder that? What's all this really all about? And if you look to the world, you look to popular society, popular culture, you look to society, you look to the, for those answers, you'll find all kinds of different answers. Well, we're here to make the world a better place. Well, we're here to, to get as much as we can. He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, we're here to, to educate ourselves as much as we can. And we, we come up with all different types of answers to this question. Why are we here? What is my life for? Am I just here for pleasure? Well, King Solomon answered that, didn't he, in the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon, I preached a whole series through there, verse by verse through that book, several years back. He made an experiment out of life. Solomon, this wealthy, powerful king, he said, you know what, I'm going to try everything. Try it all. Whatever pleasure you can think of, I'm going to try it. Whatever whatever experience you can think of, I'm going to try it. Whatever material good you can think of, I'm going to buy it. And you read it, and they said Solomon's temple and his courts and his maidens and his, his musicians and his Solomon, for us, we, we want to hear a certain song. We jump on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music, or maybe we pay 99 cents and download it so we can hear it. Solomon wanted to hear a certain song by a certain artist. He brought them in and had them play live before him. I'm going to try it all. And he said, literally, I'm not going to hold back anything from myself. And then you know what he said by the end of that? I'm going to try to find the purpose of life, why I'm here, what it is that makes man happy. You know what he said when I tried it all? Here's what he said. He said, all of it is vanity, that means emptiness, and vexation of spirit. 
Think about that. That means, that means not only is there no value to it, it's actually of a negative value. The stuff that everybody says will make you happy ends up never making me happy. And not only that, it adds more burden to it. You know, the Bible says they that are increased in riches, those that are increased in riches, they are increased that eat them. Meaning the more stuff you have, the more people you have around you that want the stuff that you have. And it just, and I'm not, it's not wrong to have stuff. Sometimes God chooses to bless people materially, and sometimes God chooses to bless people with wealth. And that's, there, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. That can be a blessing of God that can be used in amazing ways to benefit and bless many others. But those of us, and by the way, in, in, in the world's perspective, all of us are wealthy, by the way. We're all in the top three, four, five percent of the wealthiest people living on planet Earth today. But, but sometimes those of us that, relatively speaking, are not wealthy, we look and say, if I could just get there, if I could have that that house, if I could drive that car, if I could have that possession, if I could have that portfolio, then my life, my problems would be gone. Then I would have, and you know what Solomon learned? Nothing of this world brings satisfaction that lasts. Nothing. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. So why are we here? Is it for pleasure? No, that's empty. Am I here to amass possessions or attain power? That's empty. No matter how much stuff we have, there's always something we don't have. What did, what, did, what did Solomon say? He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. There's never enough. So why are we here? Paul answers it in verse 27. He said, God created everybody, and why did he create them? Would you read verse 27 and verse 28 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He answers the question, where did we come from? There's a creator, and he set all this up. He's bigger than you. And any good thing that you have came from him. He doesn't need anything you can offer him. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your gods. He doesn't need your creations. You can stop worshiping those statues that are looking down at me from the, the Acropolis right now. You don't need those. And then he says, and here's why you're here. Here's why God created you, that they should seek the Lord, and he's not hard to find. He's not a distant God. He's not trying to play hide-and-go-seek with you. <clears throat> He's not trying to make it difficult to know him. He wants to know you, and he wants to walk with you, and he wants to teach you, and he wants to comfort you, and he wants to love you, and he wants to walk through this journey with you. And whatever questions you're having, he wants to burn your bearing. He wants to bear those burdens with you and for you. He wants to be there. And why are we here? We're here to seek the Lord, to find the Lord, to obey the Lord, to live for the Lord, to bring glory to the Lord, why are we here? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians when he wrote to the, the church at Corinth, when, not this message he was preaching to the Athenians, but when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, for by him were all things created. Notice again, he settles the creation question. He, why, where do we come from? That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created. What does it say here? By him and then what? For him. You're here for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And then in this passage, in, in verse 28, and I'm sorry, verse 20, 29, and he begins to, he quotes from two or three different Greek poets. People, they would understand. Do you notice? 
He hasn't gotten to scripture at all. Now, I'm all for scriptural preaching, and so is Paul, but he's using things they already believe and they know and showing them they point to the God you're trying to find. He quotes these poets, and look at verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, one of their poets is the one that that said we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we're his children, we we are his creation, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. If, If we are his creation, if we're his offspring, it makes no sense for us to worship something that we create with our own hands. That's what he said. He created you, why would you then worship something you created? And and again, I don't know, there might be some here, I don't know that we have too many in this room, if any, or those watching online that have a statue in their home that they created that they worship nightly. Maybe there are some. There might be somebody that has a crucifix or a picture of Mary or a picture of Buddha or a statue of Buddha or some, some shrine or altar. That may be, but I would say the vast majority of us, that's not the case in our homes. But did you know that very often, those of us that call us call ourselves children of God, we still worship things made with our own hands. We worship our accomplishments. Look at my family. Look at my career. Look at my portfolio. Look at my house. Look at pastor. Look at my church. This is not my church. This is his church. But I want you to worship what I have accomplished as a pastor. By the way, again, I, I don't believe that I have a, if there's any good, it's God in and through us. I haven't accomplished this. But even as pastors, we can begin to worship our creation. And Paul tells them here, he says, and I want you to think about your own life. Is there something you're finding your identity? You're finding your fulfillment? You're finding your significance? And look at what I have achieved. Look at what I have accomplished. You know what 2020 has taught us? A whole lot of that which we have achieved and accomplished can be taken away like that. And it's gone. And if that's what we were worshiping, if that's where we were finding our identity in that career, in that relationship, if that's where we're finding our fulfillment, guess what happens when it's gone? We're lost. We have no answers. Why am I even here? I gave my life for 30 years to fill in the blank. I gave my life for decades to and now it's all gone. Why am I even here? Why do we have those identity crises? Sometimes we call them midlife crisis. Why do we have those things? Why? Because we begin to worship things made with our own hands. And he said, why you're here is to find him. He doesn't want to be hard to be found. He's not far away. He's not a distant God. You're here to glorify him. You're here to worship him. I'm going to, I'm going to declare unto you the one that you're trying to worship. And, and Paul points out the folly of all idolatry, which was rampant in their culture. And it looked different in their culture. But may I suggest to you today that idolatry is rampant in the American culture in 2020. And for some, it is a statue graven with hands, but for most, it is not. It's not the same idolatry that was rampant in their culture, but idolatry, placing something above Jesus in our lives, something above God, something that gets our time, our talent, our treasure. It can be sports, and it can can be all kinds of things. Is rampant in our culture. And Paul said, that's not why you're here. You're not here for any of that. You're here to find him, to love him, to live for him. And then he answers the third question. First, he said, where are we from? God, why are we here? to to worship him, to find him, to know him. Then he answers the question, where are we going? What happens after this life? 
That's a tough thing, isn't it? Because we like to see stuff. And you can't see the spiritual realm. And no man has ever seen God. We, we haven't seen heaven. We haven't seen hell. What, what's going to happen when this all ends? And because of that, again, man likes to come up with all kinds of different answers to that question. Where are we going? Annihilationism. The belief that when you die, nothing. It's it. It's all over. And again, the, whatever we believe in creation and whatever we believe about the afterlife affects greatly what we do while we're here. Nothing. You just, you're going in the ground and you're done. That's it. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. Purgatory. Catholicism came up with that, that, that you could be in this state of limbo, this state of in-between there, and, and, and maybe you're going you're gonna to go to hell and maybe heaven. They come up with, and reincarnation, some, some uh, religions teach reincarnation, and, and you'll come back, and, and uh, you'll come back as something else, and, and you just have life after life after life. Islam believes in a place called paradise. Buddhists believe in rebirth, and that depends on your works here in this life will determine that you might have to come back as an animal if you're really bad, or as a, 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 some haunted a ghost, or, or some spirit animal, or uh, if you do well, you might come back as a human or a heavenly being. Many other religions have some version of a good or bad outcome after you die. As Christians, based upon the teaching of Scripture, we believe that the Bible teaches there are two eternal destinations, a place called heaven and a place called hell. And there's only one way to each of those. Forgiven sin leads you to heaven, Jesus takes you to heaven. Unforgiven sin leads you to hell, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's only one way in. Either your sins are forgiven, they're paid for by someone else, and the only one that can pay for your sin is Christ, or they're paid for by you in eternal suffering in a place called hell. Paul answers that question. I want you to see it as we wrap it up. Verse 30, finish up the chapter. In the times of this ignorance, people were confused. They didn't know what they believed. God winked at. But now, now, God has sent the Messiah. <clears throat> God has sent his son. So now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained by Jesus, what they've done with Jesus, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus is risen. Paul's preaching the resurrection of Christ. There's coming a day that you will be judged based on what you did with a resurrected Jesus. Did you reject him or did you accept him? That will determine there's coming a day of judgment for every one of us. And in righteousness. He dealt with Christ, and Christ paid the payment for your sins. There's coming a day where you will be judged based on what you've done with Jesus in your life. Verse number 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They were, they were enlightened beyond truth. And others said, we will hear thee again on this of this matter. Ah, I don't mind. Let's talk about that again. That's interesting. I'd like to talk some more about that. So Paul departed from among them. How be it certain men clave unto him and believed among them was Dionysius the uh, Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. There were some, a small harvest here in this educated, enlightened city of Athens, a small harvest that said, we believe that Jesus is the only way. As I wrap it up, here's the conclusion, church family. Do you have some questions in life? Do you have hard questions? Like beyond where are we going to eat today? Beyond uh, what do you want for Christmas? 
Beyond the surface level questions that we answer day in and day out, do you struggle with some hard ones? May I say, for every question of life, God's word has the answers. Every question. God's word has the answers for the big questions of life and also for the little questions of life. It has the answers for the biggest burdens you carry and for the little ones. And ultimately, I know this sounds trite, but I don't mean it to be trite. Jesus is the answer to every question facing our world today. There are so many questions in our lives today, and as humans, we often, like the Athenians did, we, we look to the wrong places to find answers. We look to education. Maybe I could talk to that expert in that field. He would give me the answers. We look to education, and we look to enlightenment. We look to culture. We look to experience. We, we look to human leaders. We look to relationships to do what only Jesus was intended to do. We look to achievement, to philosophy, to pleasure. And you know what we come up every time we look to those places for answers? Without faith every time we come up empty. There is no human relationship. There is no human expert. There is no philosophy. There is no culture. There is no man's wisdom that will give you the true answers you and I are looking for. And like the Athenians, if we look in the wrong places, we'll just keep searching and searching for some new thing to answer the nagging questions that dangle unceasingly in our souls. There's this question I don't understand. Where do I find the answer? It is only when we turn to the word of God that we can find assurance, answers, peace, and rest for our souls. Isn't that what Paul told them? I saw that altar to the unknown God. You know you're supposed to be worshiping, but you can't figure out how or who. I've got the answer. I want to answer for you where you came from. I want to answer why you're here, and I want to answer where you're going. It's up to you. What will you do with the one that God raised from the dead? It's interesting because sometimes after you've been a Christian for a while, you feel like, I, sh I should be beyond this. I shouldn't have these doubts, this confusion, these questions. But you know what encourages me? The 12 men who spent every moment of every day with Jesus for three, day for three years, they saw they saw everything about his public ministry, private, public, all of it. They still struggle with doubts and questions and confusion at times. Toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and Jesus is getting ready to leave, a familiar passage, John chapter 14, verse 1, and I'll close with this passage. John 14 and verse 1, Jesus was trying to calm them. What did he say in John 14, verses 1 through 5? You see it there? He said, let not your heart be what, church? Be what? Don't be all caught up in anxiety and, and, and frustration and confusion and doubt and fear. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. I've told you the answers. I've, I've given you the answers in my words while I walked with you. I've given you the answers, Christians, in my word. You know how it's all going to turn out. You know how this whole thing's going to work out. Don't, don't be troubled about the, the coming trials of life. Don't be troubled by the betrayal that you're going to face, and don't be troubled by the persecution, and don't be troubled by the uncertainty, and, and you don't know where it's coming. Let not your heart be, heart be troubled, followers. You're believing in the right thing. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, you know how this is all going to turn out. 
And we, what, what did he say? We call him Doubting Thomas. But what did he say, that one that walked with him every moment of every day for three years? Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we don't know. We still don't have the answers. Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Do you, know, do you see it there? Even still, their response was, we don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand what we're supposed to do. We don't understand where we're going and how we're going to get there. We have so many questions. Jesus said, you know what's going on. You believe in the right stuff. No, we really don't. We're still struggling. Still struggling with questions in my heart. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know the way, and I don't know what this all looks like. I don't know what the future holds. I'm struggling. I'm still struggling with these answers of these questions of life. And what did Jesus say? Would you put it up on the screen and let's read it aloud together. John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? Ready, begin. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What did Jesus say? I am the way. I'm the answer to your questions. I am the truth. I'm the answer to those things you're not sure what's true or false. I am the life. I'm your purpose for living. I'm the only one you're going to find fulfillment in. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm eternal life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What did Jesus say? I am the answer to all the questions of life. I'm everything you need. Paul, this morning here, in 13 short verses, Paul masterfully answered the age-old questions of time and of life. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Man has come up with stacks of books, Man has spent countless hours debating and philosophizing and trying to figure out the answers to those things. Paul answered it in 13 verses. And then in John, what did Jesus say there? What's the answer to where did we come from? What's the answer? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and all things were created by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Where did we come from? What's the answer? Jesus. Talk to me now. Where did we come from? What's the answer? Why are we here? What's the answer? Jesus. We're created by him and for him. I'm not here to please myself. I'm not here to try to get as much as I can out of this life. I'm here to serve him, to please him, to glorify him. Whatever he puts in my hand should be a tool to bring honor and glory to him. Those children that he blesses to my care should be, I should train them up in his nurture and admonition. That career that he gives me, I should steward it for his glory. Those lives that he lets me impact, I shouldn't draw them onto myself. I should point them to Jesus. That marriage that I have should be a picture of Christ in the church. And why am I here? The answer is Christ. Where do we come from? Talk to me. Where do we come from? Jesus. In the beginning was the word created by him. Why are we here? What's the answer? Jesus. Where are we going? The answer is Jesus. I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again, doubtless, to receive you unto myself. What's the answer? Where are we going, church? To Jesus. And how are we going to get there? What's the answer? Jesus. I know it sounds so simple. Sometimes, you ask your little kids that go to children's class after church, what'd you learn today? 
Jesus. What'd you learn in class today? The Bible. No, but I mean, like, what'd you learn? And you know what? It'd be the biggest compliment you could give for my message today if anybody asked you, what'd you learn in church yesterday? Jesus. What do you mean? That's what I mean. No, but I mean, like, that thing you're struggling with, did you get any help for that? Jesus. That relationship, Jesus. That doubt, that fear, that question, that uncertainty. Paul preaching to this enlightened, educated, secular society, one of the cultural centers of the world at the time. And what did he preach? Preach Jesus. What did he preach? Where did we come from? Where are we go- why are we here? Where are we going? Church family, this Christmas season. Again, I don't mean it just to be some cliche. The answer to whatever questions you're struggling with is found in Christ, in his word, in your identity in him, in your relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, make today the day of your salvation. Make today like Dionysius did and like Damaris did. Make today the day that you say, I believe. I accept that Jesus is the one who died to save me. I believe some mock, some are intrigued, others believe. I hope you're not in the mocking category, and if you don't know Christ as Savior, I hope you're not just in the intrigued category. I hope today you'll move into the category of, I believe. I cleave unto Paul, because I believe. I want to know more. I believe. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.